0: hi this is charles with us. tony silva and we're two teachers talking a podcast about teaching in japan teaching english teaching in universities and just generally trying to figure out what's going on in the classroom uh, a little bit of an exploration of our frustrations and our sometimes and occasional successes and this is episode 78 and today we're talking about an well i don't know if it's an interesting topic for everyone but it's an important topic and it's the issue of Fluency, teaching fluency, and how students learn fluency, as well as looking at what's going to be happening, or trying to predict what's happening with machine translation and how that's going to affect our roles as teachers. So, Tony, let's start off with uh, our definitions of fluency.
1: How well, would you? That, somebody, yeah. Well, that's when we, you know after we, when we start first started talking about this topic, I started to do a little bit of research and. I kind of <laughs> ran into some problems. Um, Did you? Yeah. Uh, there's a very... This idea of fluency uh, is uh, very plastic, and uh, there's not a lot of agreement about what it is. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting. One of the first things I looked at, well, duh, is um, Wikipedia... And among the things that I read, and I was also struck. Before I got there, it's like oh, I was struck by the emphasis on people talking about reading uh, and fluency. And I think of fluency more as as a productive um, function, first of all. And then in Wikipedia, I, I, I came across the phrase that uh, they're talking about fluency. Fluency is necessary, but not sufficient for language proficiency. And that's I would a good put, one, isn't it? But but I would flip that. I I I think it's the other way. I think that language proficiency is necessary, but not sufficient for fluency. It's mm, an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, ran into, I, ran into, I ran into all kinds of problems with this, right? And mm. um I talked to my resident expert, Professor Kitsman, Allison, my wife, and uh luckily <laughs> <laughs> for for all concern uh we kind of agreed and uh what we th- talked about is like the proficiency we thought that you can proficiency is something that can be measured by testing there's fixed parameters um fairly objective how proficient the the speaker is right or the the the, the person the learner whereas fluency is um uh practical and productive And includes not only the linguistic ability, but also, and this is what we were going to, I think, talk about a little bit later on, uh, cultural and situational awareness. Um, And another word that uh, I, I, I'm sure I picked it up in some of the the reading that I did, but it was also um, in the back of my mind is facility. Um, You know, how easy it is for the person to communicate with in that in that language and in, in the foreign language. And some examples of that, that kind of highlight the uh differences that I've got in my head. Uh and these are things that are, for example, linguistically not wrong, uh, but things that are certainly odd to the ear of a native speaker. So once upon a time, was was uh, doing a little interview for a Radio Read in, in Osaka. And um very famous Osaka DJ, bi- bilingual, very, very adept at English. What was the but guy's name? I don't want to say the guy's name. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm trying to avoid saying his name. But, and because I'm going to talk about the mistakes that he's making. And uh oh. he says, talks about, so he was, we we're talking and and he was searching for a word and he goes ah it's it's not in my dictionary so I knew exactly what he meant but neither of us would ever say this i i can't think of the word i don't know the word but he says it's not in my dictionary in in this mental dictionary it's not in my dictionary i mean it's it's a clever phrase and it's a great um you know uh what's a word measure procedure um
0: you don't sound very fluent right
1: now. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and uh, I've got a I've got a but anyway, he was like it's a it's a strategy, right, for when you don't know a word you find a way. to not know, it's a great strategical, you know, pick up and it's great. You know, we, we communication successful. Message received. Um but yeah, in exactly, fluency. I've got a I got a private student who, who habitually um We'll use the word fatty when he wants to talk about somebody who's overweight. Oh, she's a little bit fatty. We, and you know, in our mind, like fatty is uh, a meat, right? Or uh, some kind of meal. It's too fatty. Uh, unless it's a, you know, a pejorative term for, uh, you know, as a noun when you're in the playground or whatever. And then for us, um, when we... Uh, or learning Japanese, the way we, the difficulty that we have with all the nuanced versions—sorry, non-Japanese folks and people not in Japan—with um, with the Japanese word "e," with good, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like "e desu," which, in translated English, means "it's good." <laughs> but what, what we mean when we say "e desu" is like "no, thank you," right? <laughs> <laughs> right, stuff like that. So. He's like yeah, I know exa- I the I know what the words mean, but learning how to use that. So pr- fluent, if proficiency is only e. It means good. And desu is the be verb. It's, okay, that's proficiency. Fluency is knowing to say e desu, and when, when and and to something else. It's like the difference in English. For for example, saying like in answer to a question, okay, or that's okay. Do you want mm. another drink? Okay. Do you want another drink? That's okay. But
0: we do the same thing in
1: English. Well, that's what we? I said. I just, That's, yeah, it. that's say, ex- I'm a really good, good example. Right. Hey, I'm, I'm good. good. Or yeah. like, oh, that's okay. No, thank you. Okay means yes. That's okay means no. But I, and that's what I think the difference is between proficiency and fluency.
0: Hmm. I think. Okay.
1: Bleh. What do you Bleh. say?
0: Fluency is basically just automaticity. That's how I define it. It's the ability to use knowledge, um, declarative knowledge, or other kinds of knowledge automatically with a very low cognitive load. Okay. And that's the technical way I see it. It's um, very different from proficiency. Yeah, I, I,
1: I agree. Yeah,
0: You could have someone who talks like this and they're thinking very or exceedingly carefully in other words you have people who are exerting a lot of mental effort to speak clearly or choose the right words would you then say that they are not fluent or not proficient it's a it's a it's a good question that you brought up but I think that I generally view fluency as being the ability to use already learned knowledge um, automatically or mm-hmm. in an automatic way. And then we get into that whole thing again about declarative knowledge and procedural knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And fluency really is the, that smoothness, right? It's right, you use the word like right?
1: auto, automaticity. Word? <laughs> auto, I can't even say it. Auto, yeah, I can't say automa, it either.
0: Auto, automatic. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can't say it. I see.
1: So uh, you said you, you. Yeah. So you just go that, and I use the word facility. I was really fluent I at one point. Yeah, I was right, fluent. Well. Right. Okay. We're on vacation, so we cut us some slack. So okay. automa- automaticity or whatever it was, and when I use the word facility, I think we're kind of striving toward the same thing. Yeah, we we both mm. know the the. the you know, the architectural example, right? There's the, the English, the Japanese English teacher. has got a 900 score on a toic listening, reading, blah, blah, blah. But he can't hold, he or she, can't comfortably hold an informal, spontaneous conversation in English for more than three minutes. No, I've never met anybody like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> usually, usually there's some kind of a literature scholar who's focused on like... Page eighty-eight of some book, right? So that, yes. that, that
1: kind of underscores the difference between proficient, I mean, certainly proficient, fluency, however, has so far eluded him or her. Yeah, I don't know. Again,
0: though, right? It's you. You talked about proficiency and measuring and the measurement and what are the metrics for that, and it's 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 a, not as easy to do. I and if it were true, right, then again you couldn't get a nine hundred on a TOEIC score or um, a really a eight seventy on a on a TOEFL score without the ability of being fluent, but we know a lot of people who can do that, right? And we, we see that, I think, a lot of times when placement tests are used and you get students who seem to be able to read or, um, you know, listen and be able to answer questions, and they appear to be fluent, but they're really not. I had a student...
1: Right, exactly, there, exactly. Yeah.
0: I had yeah. So, the other thing I want to just kind of mark or look at a little bit is what you were saying about knowledge, right? The pragmatic knowledge, knowing mm-hmm. when to say something or how to use something. I had a a student this year, and this is was in an advanced class, so the students have very very good you know scores in their in their tests. Their TOEIC scores are pretty high. And I got an email from a student. I may have told you this. So, and the student said, was my score uploaded? That was the email to me. And I said, sent back my usual email and I said, well, first off, I don't know who you are. I don't know what class you're talking about. (laughs) And You know this one, right? You've seen this before. And so they sent back an email again. And it was just a student number, nothing else. And so I responded back and said, okay, let me explain. Um, When you send an email to somebody, you have to have the greeting, the aisats, as we say in Japanese, identifying information. This is my student number. This is my name. This is the class. This is the assignment that I'm talking about. Then there has to be the message. And then there has to be a closing So I sent that back to the person. And then they sent me back an email that just... I also include said that you have to use the reply function so that there's a continuation so that I can see the history of the email. And I got an email back from this person and it just said, I got it. (laughs) Perfect. And I sent an email back and said, excuse me, but actually you don't get it at all. Uh, now poor, poor yeah 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 i had to send you know an explanation again but <laughs> this is at a really really good school this is at a school that's famous for having high level speakers
1: hmm.
0: um and this was an example where you would say okay this person does not have fluency um they didn't know how to write, they didn't know how to engage, they didn't understand anything about the pragmatics and I would argue that they were neither fluent nor proficient so what we're getting at is the ability to use the language and fluency again is just I think that general smoothness right but proficiency is really the ability to use the language and I think fluency would come into part of proficiency, but you could also be fluent without being proficient, right?
1: I'm not so sure. I, th- I think. I think. I, I don't. I see it the other way. I think.
0: But what if you had a limited vocabulary, right? But you were completely good at using those one thousand
1: words. Well, think about a native speaker in English, an un- uneducated native speaker of English. Um, who's got a very, very limited vocabulary and zero command of like proper grammar. That person's fluent. Certainly not very proficient. You know, maybe he's like a third or fourth grade reading level. But he can go through he can go to the bank and he can open a bank account and he can That's proficient. maybe even bu- buy a house. No. I would proficient. say I would say I would say fluent. I would say no, reading proficient. reading James Joyce is flu- is proficient. No being no. able to function <laughs> at the bank is being fluent. Huh.
0: That- efficiency is facility with language the ability to use it fluency is your ability to use it smoothly and easily and with ease
1: don't you think yeah i think so yeah and that's where like i think the 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 bank thing and the um you know gas station and supermarket and Talking to the teacher without the kids and stuff—that's yeah, that's the ease with you. It's totally second nature. He 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 or she does not think about what he's going to say before it comes out of his mouth. That's well, that's perfect okay, well, ease, well, but he just he's just not saying it right. Well, no, so he's not no, proficient, that, but he's fluent.
0: Yeah, well, that no, that no, now we're, we're really confusing things a little bit though.
1: Well, the sort. Those are the circles that I'm I mean. Going there, are, I mean, I too, know. Right? Uh, I under, yeah,
0: I agree. Yes, I mean, I. I... The reason I say that is just I, I've actually you know watched my mouth say things.
1: <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> oh, just go listen. Just listen to the first half of this podcast. That would be a really good example. Oh, you mean the part that we edited? Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, we took all that in post. Yeah. No, I'm serious. I
0: I, I mean I've actually s- <laughs> s- said things and I've actually watched and kind of like. In total horror and said, "There's no way I've said that, is there?" And of course there is, but yeah, we're, we get into this interesting thing again. That's, but you know, I don't want to spend the whole time just you know really picking yeah, yeah. on a definition. I think what we're really trying to do is trying to tease this out a little bit, and right. um, I think that technically, as a classroom teacher, when we're looking at this language teaching thing, that fluency I would think would be best defined as the use of already learned knowledge and the ability to use it with a very low cognitive load.
1: I can accept that.
0: And proficiency would be the ability to use the language accurately and appropriately.
1: I would certainly agree with that. I would would say with the accurately, appropriateness I think bleeds over into, well, it, yeah, yes and no. It, it, and I think that that's kind of, I think, for example, appropriateness would include things like register, but then situational awareness and contextual awareness, I think kind of falls over on the fluency side of the line. Uh, so, so I think appropriateness is a, is a, is a, Wide area, so I think I'm with you most of the way, but I think there's like, Nye. and but these are, we're not going to get, we're not going to straighten this out. <laughs> there, there, there's, so there's too much gray here for us to, to I think to, to, to weed it out.
0: Okay, but well, then the why does it thing. even make a difference, right? If, so, if somebody were to ask, well, me, it, someone, it makes a, a difference.
1: It, well, because we're teachers and and we have to like figure out what we're we're supposed to teach. So somehow we got to figure out what we're going to emphasize what's going to be we're going to let slide what's going to be important what this is what you have to do you got to make a lot of calls right you got to make a lot of decisions about uh exactly how you're going to assess the students you know how you're going to teach to re- achieve so how to re- sets the goals and to teach, re- teach to reach those goals um and somehow in our own head whether we can articulate these goals to anybody else or not, at least somehow in our own head, um, we've got to have a pretty good idea of what it is that we're trying to do so that we can tell the students what it is we expect them to do and then be able to create a learning environment, create tasks that will help them achieve those goals. So whether it's externally valid to in terms of somebody else's definitions of these terms, yeah, who knows? But I think that the teacher in his or her own head has to somehow come to grips with some kind of idea of what it is they're trying to do in the classroom, right? Fair enough. Okay.
0: But we're kind of getting into that old focus on form, focus on meaning. I think as Rod Ellis has put it, and Paul Dations, one of four strands. Meaning focused communication mm-hmm. and um, form focused communication accuracy. So, there, there's different parts of the language that are necessary for effective functioning. But okay,
1: yeah. so get us out of the woods, Charles. What do we do here?
0: <laughs> I'm still in the dark. What are we in? Well, it's, it has to be balanced. Um, the big argument is that. When people try to teach fluency, they're actually not teaching fluency. I see this happening a lot with teachers. They'll start introducing new vocabulary, new items, or a new grammar structure. And it can't be a fluency exercise. It can't be fluency practice if there's new stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. I think
0: that's by definition. So the most important thing and the most valuable thing here is just as a simple teaching um, rule is that if you are doing a fluency exercise, it has to be material that's already been learned. And I think Paul talked about that in the second part of the interview, where you know that it's material, it's just not language, but it's also the information, it's the knowledge that their students are really familiar with. So there's not a lot of thinking going on. So it's almost as if, you know, one way to look at it would be basically ease of retrieval, but... The key as a teacher is that if you decide you want to improve and work on your student's fluency, then make sure that they're working with material that they know well, that they're working with lexical items that they know well, and the, that um, there's not a focus on accuracy. Because if somebody's working on fluency and the teacher goes in and starts correcting them whenever they're making a mistake, then you don't have a fluency exercise Absolutely, more, perfect. Yeah, so no, that's absolutely right. Yeah, and that happens a lot, I think, with new teachers. I see mm-hmm. that. It's a big, easy mistake. So... You know, the other thing is just as a teacher, and I'm kind of suggesting this a lot more to um, people I know who are becoming, are just going into the field. You know, I said when the students are practicing, leave them alone. Don't correct them. That's it's a practice, really, that's, that's right? a really, that's
1: a real big one. And then that's, I think that's a really common mistake with less experienced teachers. But then it, sometimes for some of us it takes a, a long time to actually learn. It's like, yeah, just leave them alone. Let them let them make the mistakes. It's like, just let them go. It's like it it goes against a lot of your I, hmm, instincts. I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, as for uh, less experienced teachers, it, sitting back and, and not <laughs> and just being silent is sometimes really hard. But that's sometimes exactly what you're supposed to do. But it's not even a matter just of being
0: silent. It's um, you no. Know, the teacher will walk up and start listening to the conversation and right away you've 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 changed the dynamic for the students and it's no longer a fluency exercise in it because once you're there and the students worried about accuracy then you have remute right you've it's no longer automatic and it's no longer fluid retrieval so if they're and also if they're practicing just you know the first time they're using the material let them make mistakes right you know I, I just you know if you keep correcting students while they're practicing I don't know if you know how valuable that is initially. So and I know oh, a ag- lot of
1: ag- people, agree 100%. agree 100% yeah, but, here. You know, yeah. It's I, corrective I do feedback, feedback,
0: right? You know how mm. you know what's the right time for that. Mm. You know, I know that um right if you start correcting somebody when they first do something right away, they're probably going to stop doing it pretty soon. I think that's why I can't go to a French restaurant because I'm always worried about using the wrong fork (laughs) and, you know, having somebody watch me. So I think that's an important point is to give the students a lot of room and to use that idea of fluency as a tool to kind of help you as a teacher to say, Hey, you know, let me leave them alone, back off a little bit. I think it has some value there, but I don't know. I guess that took a while to learn. I think I talk less now than I used to when I started. Don't you think? Yes. Quieter in the classroom? Yes. Yes. It's not all about me. It's not supposed to be about me anymore. That took a while to learn.
1: And, a lot, and all that does, it depends on the students that you've got to, because some students are, some classes, some groups of students are very, you know, once you, Set them in the right direction. Are very happy to and, and a- capable of uh, just taking the ball and run with it. And other students, mm. you really need to kind of lead them step by step um, mm. until they get to that comfort level where you they can they can take their few steps themselves. But because because uh, you know we've we've talked about uh, so many times, um, some a lot of them come to class completely unready for that kind of activity.
0: Mm. So they're neither proficient nor fluent.
1: That is correct.
0: So we could actually use that in terms of as a student, right? Do you come to the class? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. How proficient, you know, are you? And how fluent are you? Oh, that's I never thought about it that way. Because some students really do have an ease about them. They do understand how to do things, and it seems to flow and work pretty easily.
1: Yeah, because they have very different backgrounds, right? Some of them have, like, you know, their experiences are so varied. Some of them have just been taught at all through uh, uh, junior high school and high school and other students um, have had phenomenal teachers and are just really cranked and ready to go and have all kinds of wonderful, you know, communicative experiences and and know exactly what they're supposed to do. Um, It's nice to corral those kids to help the other ones and things, but, you know, that's a whole other balancing act. Yes. Yeah, it really is. But, Yes, we could look at those, you know, in terms of fluency.
0: Are you a fluent student? Are you a fluent learner? Are you a proficient learner? That's gonna, that's gonna, that's gonna go around in my head for a while. I think.
1: Well, that's another interesting way, right? What you just said there, right? Because that sounded like very unfluent. <laughs> but yeah, so, because proficiency. Proficiency is a term that can be used for guitar, piano, um, mechanics, secretarial skills. Proficiency is, is universal, but fluency pretty much is linguistic. No? I mean, you can, you can use that word l- literally to like a fluent and, you know, the art of love. <laughs> or something like that, but fluency. I have absolutely no idea where you're going <laughs> with this, right? Fluent, now. Fluency, fluency, pretty much is when you talk about fluency, it usually has to do with language. Proficiency well, is not linguistic; it can be, but you can be proficient in mechanics, or in piano, or in Fortran, <laughs> or in cooking. I'm proficient right? You're able, to, it's a skill. It's you're able to do things. Fluency is language-specific. Unless you use what? the term, unless you like, you know, put a poetic license, right? Using it to apply to other areas. Hmm.
0: You know, I don't know. I don't know if I completely agree with that or not. I mean, um, do you think that we could use it with musicians,
1: I th- absolutely, and you can be a very proficient guitar player, but you that doesn't make you Hendrix. I mean, you are a proficient studio musician, but you're not Hendrix.
0: Okay, so you could be proficient, but not fluent.
1: And but I wouldn't. I use, think... And I wouldn't say f- Hendrix was fluent. I would say that he's an artist. So you can be proficient without being an artist, right? You can be a proficient drawer or an animation animator, um, proficient cook, a proficient cook, but you're not a chef you're pr- pr- proficient at the piano but you're not really a real musician. I like hmm. that.
0: So fluency would be a quality that a real speaker
1: Yeah, I think so. Whatever the hell that means. Yeah, I don't know what that means at all. Well, that's I think that I think that's that's the nebulous part of it, right? Cuz so in, you know, in what, in what context, and, uh, the, that leads me to kind of what I was thinking about in terms of, to get away from the semantics of, of those two terms. <laughs> but, um, for us and for the listeners, uh, teachers, like how do the, the, the big question is like, so how do what does it, so what does that mean for us? How do we, how does that help us teach better? Um, I think it kind of comes back to something that we've talked about a long time ago, maybe more than once. um It really comes down to needs assessment right so you've with the student that you've got and you know whatever school it is, whatever age they are, et cetera et cetera, et cetera majors yada yada um for them in their future, so what is it that they're gonna need All right, what is the balance um among the like performance on standardized tests? Or uh the use of English in Japan, which can usually mean but not always business English, or um use of English for life in an English speaking country, which I would call fluency um but um yeah I mean for the kids that we're teaching or the people you know, um that we're teaching uh in the future what is what is the environment in which they're going to be using this english what is it that, that they're learning english for uh rather than a mental exercise like latin um what is what are their needs what, do they need do they need to get a certain s- score on the on the toic so they can get a job at xyz corporation um do are they going to actually have to use english in their job here in japan or are they looking to live in uh, a country overseas you know work and or life and so so what the what the teacher kind of needs to kind of do is say take a look at the class and say okay what is it or are they, are they do they just got to get through the semester because <laughs> <laughs> it's requ- it's, a, it's a required class all right and that that's part of the reality too for a lot of the people that we do teach right hmm.
0: But I'm not sure if I'm agreeing with you on how you're using fluency.
1: Okay. I I suspected that was going to be a thing because I'm not sure that I agree with myself sometimes either. I was like, I had a really hard time when I was wrestling with this. Mm.
0: It's one of those topics that actually seems really simple and pretty clear. And then you start playing with it and suddenly it gets really difficult and amorphous and kind of squishy. Exactly. It's really it's really kind of a squishy topic. But I do think it's an important thing for us to teach and to give opportunities for the students to have time on it. In fact, I think it's the one thing that's always missing because of a lot of the students who we teach obviously have had very limited fluency practice. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest, hardest part with fluency is just, you know, when you're sitting there and like, I'm sure this is how people, you know, Japanese people feel when I'm trying to figure out what's the right word here, or how to exactly phrase something that's like, would you come on, come on, just spit it out, man. You know, how. so the problem with fluency, I think, is that it impedes the flow of communication and can become... Noticeable and it can increase stress level and tensions, tension levels in a classroom or not a classroom in a conversation. So that's probably the biggest downside of it is that it really does require the listener to extend more patience than necessary or more patience than usual, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's it's. It's all, you know it's almost kind of kind of a, a Zen thing, right? It's like you, if you think of it that you're doing it, then you're not doing it. You're not doing it until you forget that you're doing it, huh? Because <laughs> if you know if you're self aware, if you're thinking about how you know it's like you're running, as if you just thinking, it's okay. My left foot, right foot. It's like well, that does You're not running. You're not running until you forget where your left foot and your right foot are. You're just you've got to dissociate yourself from that. And I think the fluency is kind of the same thing. Where it becomes, you're not thinking about doing it; you're just doing it. And if you're thinking about it, and if you're self-aware at the moment, then you've blown. You're not doing. You're not fluent. When you do it without thinking, that's fluency.
0: So, you're basically defining fluency as being a learned activity that becomes unconscious.
1: Kind of. I guess one of the other words that like in a lot of the self-help books of not recently, but like maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, mastery. Mm -hmm.
0: Mastery. Mm -hmm. Mastery of the subject. But mastery would include, is different from proficiency, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, mastery is really when you're at a very high level. So that would be proficient and fluent. Right. And... Socially aware and able to choose the right register or the right phrases or the right tone.
1: Without thinking about it.
0: Right. Hmm. Or a limited amount of thinking. But yeah, so it's right. smooth movement. It's smooth action. I think it's probably the best way to look at it.
1: Okay. Are we ready but to move on?
0: Is it? Is it how, right. I was about to say, let's move yeah. on. But I mean, the question becomes really how important is it
1: uh-huh well i, I that, that's like my needs assessment, right? so for a lot of the students, it's not important at all uh, you know if right. you, if if all you want to do is get a score on a test so that you can get a job at the at, at, at city hall, mm. <laughs> they don't need fluency at all. they just need a test score
0: right, so they're not actually even learning the language
1: Well, they can, but they don't that's not what they need. I mean, there's nothing wrong with learning something, right? And learning things is cool, it's neat, it's fun. But what they need is to get a test score. Those kids, right? Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So we have this thing about proficiency and fluency, and you were talking about situational knowledge or situational awareness. And I think that falls under the heading of um, pragmatics, doesn't it? Communicative competency. Yep. What do you is gonna happen, given artificial machine translation, or I don't even know what artificial machine translation means. But. <laughs>
1: artificial intelligence, computer translation, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. I, I know you you talked about that a, a little bit. We we and we didn't discuss it. You you, you kind of dropped it, and and we we both moved on. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, you had some ideas, though.
0: Yeah, well, I think I mentioned this in the interview with yeah. Paul, but I think there's going to be a big shift away from linguistic competency to um, pragmatic competency and cultural competency. In other words, you you know, if the technology is there and it's going to be at some point in time, there's going to be basic real line translation, or at least you'll have options, or somehow some kind of feedback system that will allow you to interact with people with a different language if that's the case and let's say that's 15 years away um some universal translator so to speak why would we be teaching people how to learn languages right you know they could be taking a nap they could be sleeping they right a lot more free time so, so why so. would we yeah why would we do that <laughs> any ideas
1: I got. I've got some ideas, um, and again, this is not. This is not for the kids who need a test score because they're not going to need the test score because, as you just said, the the machines do that for us. Um, and I guess I'm going to put my get out my um, liberal education cloak and mitre, and get step up to the pulpit here for a little bit. But um, one of the I think one of the real joys of foreign language learning um, is wonderfully impractical and unpragmatic um, and in learning a foreign language beyond vocabulary and grammar, um inevitably you get to the point where you're learning the culture as well as the language. And yes, you've mentioned this a number of times. You really yeah. believe that, yes. Yeah, I yeah. Think we I'd, both agree. The, the foreign language and the culture in inextricably intertwined. You cannot separate these things. And um, the language is not just that, you know, it's not just the, the body of knowledge, right? It is a cultural thing, and it is a growing thing. And especially when you talk about languages that are very different from your own native language, um, the, the mental adventure that you undertake when you approach fluency or proficiency, which whatever term we want to use there, um, is incredibly rewarding. And so for for personal reward and growth, and I'll go just like, you know, in addition to, you know, with the individual, um, have things like, for example, um, learning Latin, Okay, no, it's totally impactful. Nobody, I mean, yes, you can improve you, especially if you're a native English speaker, you can improve your vocabulary. Um, But the the mental gymnastics that you need to go through, um, I think, in terms of logic and structure, um, are extremely beneficial. We had our our episode on writing, come at me, people, come at me, Uh, where I defended the five paragraph essay. Um. Yeah, in the face of all these, like, well, the students will never have to write a five-paragraph essay. Like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> but the skills that they learn, the skills that are required in order to produce a well-written five-paragraph essay are generalizable not only to writing and not only to that specific language, but critical thinking and constructing a co- constructing a cogent argument. You go to the gym and you lift barbells. Well, you're never gonna have to lift a barbell out in the street, (laughs) but you might have to lift a couple of bags of cement for your driveway, or some garden soil for your garden, or you might have to lift up the refrigerator that fell down after the earthquake. So yeah, you're never gonna have to lift up the barbell, but the muscles that you've built up will help you lift up many other things. You may not have to construct that five-page, that five-paragraph essay, but being able to structure an argument and organize your thoughts is something that's universally a- applicable. Um, calculators, right? But we still teach basic math. Yeah, because you got to change. You gotta, we still, because you, someday you may not have to count your change at the grocery store because it's just going to be reading the chip that's embedded in you somewhere. Um, but, but I don't think the the basic mental ability to handle at least basic math, let alone, and I would argue even advanced math, um, has real benefits. And just because I'm never going to use calculus in my life, it it doesn't matter. Um, putting your brain through those exercises is worthwhile in in and of itself, one, and two, Helps you understand other things. When you talk about language and culture, the world's getting smaller and smaller. Bum-o, isn't it? Wasn't it a nice little, <laughs> little trite phrase? But it's true, and you're in contact with more and more people all over the world. And wouldn't it be nice to live in a world where we all understood each other a little bit better? I'm done. Okay. <laughs> you can keep going if you want. I'm, t- I'm taking the miter off now. <laughs> no, keep it on. Keep it on. Keep it on. <laughs> So anyway, yeah. so that's that's my thought. So, like with foreign languages, it maybe it's going to become a, a maybe well, it's going to fork. Maybe I don't know. There's the the very very practical side, but I think it's going to also hopefully make stay as something um, you know a little more enriching. Eh, I don't know. What do you, I, I, That's that's what I think. What, what about you? I don't know.
0: I think it'll go the way the same way as Latin. Mm. There'll be such a small percentage of people studying it. Uh, I understand what you mean by the value of learning something just to learn it and that there's skills that it has value. And as long as it's transferable, as long as somebody can take what they learn and use it in a different domain, I think it's really good and it's really useful. I'm not going to argue against pure research versus applied research, practical subjects versus impractical subjects, vocational school, but it does have what you're saying resonates with me because it, is one of the few arguments we have for why we need the humanities, why we need liberal arts. It's one of the few arguments that's sustainable in terms of this pressure or push to turn education into some kind of vocational training and preparation for most people. So you're not going to get any arguments with me on that, Stan Tony, But whether or not people will need to learn a language so that they can understand each other and speak to each other. I don't know. I was reading somewhere, wasn't it that bilingualism is actually the norm in the world? There are more bilingual people than monolingual people.
1: It would seem so. I mean, if you... Yeah, cause, because the... I mean, monolingual cultures, what? United States? Can, Canada's got French and English. Um and well, yeah, I mean, it's just the the, the the force of English in the world. Everyone learns their native language, and most people then learn English. And then if you're in Europe, you've got two or three other languages that you grow up with. So I would, yeah, I would agree that, yeah, in most places in the world, people speak more than one language, except for the United States yeah, and Japan. <laughs>
0: it's amazing. Sorry. How these, it's amazing Sorry. How these are. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, no, that's okay. That's okay. No. We, we're living in a country where the prime minister on the last day of the Olympics shows up. Oh jeez! Oh jesus! Oh, Did you see
1: God. that? Oh I, yeah. I not live, but I saw it. Oh, I feel God. so. I just psyched. saw
0: that on. I just saw that on, on Google News, and I I like. Are you gotta be kidding me? Mm. Right. He shows well,
1: up anyway. That's. But, I mean. That's how. I mean. Well, you know, Abe Trump. That's how they must look at us. They feel sorry, you guys feel sorry for you guys. that yeah, well, the shoe's on the other foot. Yes,
0: uh, yes, yes. Mario so mothers. I think we will see the demise in language studies. Mm. Um, I definitely see a demise coming or a decrease in the number of language teachers employed. But, you know, the other thing is, you know, maybe... We'll see an increase in fluency because more, pe- more people will, let's say, that's a good thing. I don't know. Well, I'm not fluent right now, but <laughs> it's possible that certain kinds of learning and even fluency, which is, again, I'm going to, you know, that's easy and automatic retrieval, can easily be done with a computer or some kind of non human agent, interactive agent working with people. Because it's um, quick responses, right? It's automatic. It's without thinking it. I guess I'm, I have that image of the, 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 the tennis ball machine, you know, the one that basically hurls a tennis ball at a person who's practicing tennis and they just keep hitting the balls back. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that's what language learning is going to be in the future. It's going to kind of change and be in a way that it's different from how we see it, but do you think it's it's just a trend though?
1: Oh well, just a trend, um, just a trend. I think, um, uh, I think the trend is certainly toward better and better, uh, computer assisted translation, uh, and you know, you, you never never say never because it's obviously going to continue to get better and better and better at um at the point where we are right now and certainly the computer challenge has gotten better and better um nevertheless still even for computers monolingual language production is still problematic mhm so translation is such a huge step beyond that mhm and uh there's so much more that's involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a long way off. And again, you talk about, you know, look, looking back. You know, we've been here you know, for over 25 years in Japan. Um, the incredibly deep culture—not called culture, even cultural context, but the contextual environment. It's so deep and, you know, fuzzy, which is exactly what computers are so bad at. Uh Um, And, you know, we perceive it that way because we're native English speakers and Americans and we think a certain way and having to do it in Japanese language in a Japanese context is hmm, foreign. Um, And so we're acutely aware of those differences uh and <laughs> and how difficult it is or impossible for some of us um to to do well if at all um and we see our colleagues struggle and some are better than others some are you know really very good at it mm-hmm. a lot of the time some some are, are not <laughs> uh despite having been here 20 30 40 years um and you know uh, yes, draw draw the line. It's like, well, I don't say like just a trend. No, the trend is there, and eventually, you know, the line is going to approach infinity. And yes, at at a certain point in the future, um, sure, computers will be able to do a hell of a lot more than they do now in not only in terms of um tra- computer translation, but just like um, paralleling and mimicking human thought and you know, monolingual, bilingual productions. Sure. Um, but I think that's, mm, I hate to say that cause I'm, I hate, to, I hate to be wrong, but I think that's still a long way off. I think.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I what, what, what does the long way mean?
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to give a number. Um, but I would say you, you, you put up, I would say at least 20 years, maybe a lot more. I don't yeah. know. I don't know.
0: It's well, a lot of people are banking on that.
1: And it it depends on you know, it depends on how close how close is good enough, right? Mhm. Yes.
0: Exactly. Is it just good enough?
1: So, okay, here's a here's a real good example, right? So I talked to the very beginning, at the very beginning I talked about the the Japanese e, right? In Japanese e mm-hmm. means good. E. E. And when you and you say, well, you you talk about when it's somebody says something that you know they're very lucky, and then you say, E nah." Mm-hmm. And uh, I was on a group of people. It's my very early uh, in my my stay in Japan, and a group of folks, and I we were pretty close friends. So <laughs> too much information here, but there's one of the one of the ladies that were there talking about her. She was talking about her menstrual cramps. <laughs> and were, there were a few of them there were tons of things. one was said oh that's a terrible subject. she says oh no it's like it's uh for me i didn't have any no problem and one of the guys says e na mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of the, <laughs> the, the the young ladies literally coke spewed from her nose because to say e nah, it's a, it's an expression of envy That means that you right. don't have a problem but i do so a man cannot say that to a woman talking about her menstrual cramps. Because, <laughs> like, it means, I wish I didn't have that. Pro-. So, that kind of, you know, can tell me how a computer is going to unravel that one. One day they will. I guess so. But it's a long way off. Yeah. You know, it's always
0: questionable how far it is. And I mean, but that's an important point is, is it in the immediate horizon? How, and because that will impact how we teach and especially how we train teachers and we do need to look at it and get some better estimations but i most of the people i know just th- say no it's impossible computers will never be able to do this machines will never be able to do this and you know i just don't know i mean for you know for a variety of reasons i was kind of trying to set up some servers and i was working with code and it was just amazing to watch what can be done with just simple sentences. And, you know, just how everything is just small modules put together, put together and being used in different ways. You know, it's just a matter of time before it all really does come together and gel and kind of move in a new way. But is that in our lifetime? I think so. Is it um, in the next two, three years? No, but I think somewhere in between there. And I think that our profession will to some degree be obsolete. But what will happen is that there will be a a changing focus into the teaching of pragmatics, the teaching of situational knowledge, functional knowledge, which is what you were talking about before. Right. And I think that what will be happening is instead of teaching the language and then as students progress through the basic understandings of the language and the basic introductions to the language, that we then introduce them to cultural information and we then introduce them to how to behave and how to act and what are the situational constraints and the contextual constraints, that those things are going to be taught first and the language will be taught after that because if you have the ability to use a device that will That is just good enough for trans for most day to day situations. Why would you not use it?
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
0: I mean, do you use Siri on your iPhone?
1: Oh, a bit. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: It's just good enough. It's not perfect, but there's some things it does um, really well.
1: It's not good enough yet, but it's pretty amazing.
0: But some of the stuff it does, it does. (laughs) It it
1: blows your mind. Yeah, it it blows my mind, but it's it's not good enough yet.
0: Hmm. But there's at some point where it'll be just good enough. Yeah. And then you'll start using it more. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent perfect. This idea that, you know, things have to have ninety-nine percent accuracy. No, it's gonna be that hybrid model of where it'll get you almost there and then you have to bring your own awareness and knowledge of the situation to fill in the part that wasn't done by the machine. That's my guess is where it's going to be. So it's not going to require a hundred percent foolproof, you know, bulletproof solution. It really is gonna be the just good enough.
1: Well, when you when you show me a computer that can translate the first half of this podcast into Japanese in any kind of understandable form, I'll be really impressed.
0: Will you show me somebody who can understand? Probably <laughs> just a, are their nat- our native language.
1: If and you can I'll show me, if you can too. show me a human being that follows. Show me I'll somebody who's impressed. even has been
0: listening to this conversation as we've been meandering today.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, well, it's again, it's vacation. So, what you going to do? So anyway, um, you wrap it up, huh? Um, yeah. With, I'm it, okay for, with that. for 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 teachers, I mean, just like one eye on that artificial intelligence and computer translation to see what's happening with it. Don't, you know, don't put don't put all your chips on that square, but and don't discount it either, but keep an eye on it. Um, thinking about how th- progress in that area is going to change the teaching profession, mm-hmm. and, and maybe not obsolete teachers. Much of the dismay of our university administrators, they'd love to get rid of us. Um, I'd love wanna...
0: to. O- I'd love to automate the administrative side.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I think
0: that's where the battle's going. To be, <laughs> I like that
1: idea. The... Right, that's I the like battle.
0: Oh, who who gets who gets automated first? Christ.
1: And then, just for me personally, I would just. You know, needs assessment, needs assessment, needs assessment, needs assessment. And, you know, as the the, uh, artificial intelligence computer translation develops more, yeah, the students needs change, tweak your assessment, proceed accordingly. Uh, Just keep an eye on what those, you know, your best guess, what those kids are going to need, those people to need after they're finished with your class in the next year, five years, 10 years, as best you can, and try to address that.
0: Short-term and long-term horizons, right?
1: There you go. Okay,
0: I think we've kind of beaten that horse.
1: Yeah, we well, do- it's a, it's a hard one. It's a really that's a really tough topic, and um, yeah, I mean, crystal ball and you know, computer translation—that's that's really tough, and it it kind of you know kind of underscores how difficult our job is now, because yeah, there's the. There's the test part, you know. You know, most of our students would take the test, and then there's actually what they're going to maybe or maybe not have to use English for, and what we've talked about a number of times in the past, like teaching for a world that does not exist yet, right? Um, uh, and you put all that together, and along with how to teach the the you know the linguistic skills by themselves for the students who are capable you know have the linguistic facility the cultural part or or vice versa you know what why maybe maybe as you just said when you were you were talking about in the future to, to teach the cultural part first well hell maybe we should be doing that now
0: yeah exactly
1: why and since assuming that in five years that the the machines are going to be able to pick up the slack what they didn't get right mm-hmm. ah, What well, we're going to see
0: it's going to be interesting
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <clears throat> well, it's going to be very interesting to see what I where I go from after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Back to bed. I think so. I, <laughs> I think so. I think you need a little rest. Yeah, yeah. So I was up all night, and uh, just in front of the computer all night, which is not a good thing.
1: Hmm.
0: Okay, so let's wrap this up, Tony. I'm yeah, Charles Woods. Right.
1: Tony Silva.
0: Two teachers talking at a variety of different places. There we go. And this is our last summer episode. By the next time we'll be doing a podcast, we'll be back at work, won't we? Or we'll just be about just, to be. We'll be
1: just starting. We'll be just starting. Just starting.
0: starting. Yeah. Well, enjoy the vacation,
1: Tony. Semester two coming up. Yes.
0: So you be well, okay?
1: All right. You too. Bye. All right.